Welcome back to another episode of That's Business. Today's guest, Catherine Steffi, is a tenacious healthcare management professional with over 10 years of experience in educational leadership, strategic planning, and applied analytics. Her expertise is in people and team development, driving triple aim outcomes, growing and managing provider networks, optimizing revenue generation, and reducing waste. Personally and professionally curious, lives in Grand Rapids with her husband, son, and pup, and she's looking forward to adding a daughter to the family in the fall. To her, there is no such thing as free time, but loves to decompress in the garden, in the kitchen, or with a good book. Catherine, thank you so much for agreeing to this. It's been, what, about a year since we connected last? It's been a while. Thanks for having me. Of course. And you have a whole kid on the way due soon, which congratulations again. Thank you. What have you been up to since the last year with this craziness? In short, lots. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I left a role. I accepted a role. I withdrew from a role. I did independent consulting. I've accepted a new role. That has really been a departure. It's been a little bit of a wild ride for the last year. And I would say my dirty secret, because we're just (laughs) going to put it all out there right at the top of the hour, right? Yeah, that's what we do. Yes. Is that I spent 10 years on the insurance side, healthcare insurance and, and in analytics or roles that were nested in the analytics department and then ultimately network management. Uh, So, of course, this was after I said, well, I would never do network management, but this was a really fun opportunity to be able to teach physicians and physician organizations to think about healthcare costs and quality and data in a new way. Uh, and as you may have heard about healthcare costs, they're, they're not nothing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So now I'm on the other side working for a healthcare delivery system uh, as the director of Pop Health Analytics. Uh, and I also serve as the administrator for a uh, administrator and convener for a program that extends our system's electronic medical record to independent affiliate physicians. It's a little bit of a departure from where I've been for the last decade, and I'm loving the work and I'm loving the challenge. You know, I really view those two sides of my dual role as the short and long-term components serving the same goal. We need, as a system, to get the right information in front of administrators and providers to be able to treat patients better for reasonable costs under new healthcare payment models, and it's all about transformation. And what made you, because you are this very passionate person, where did this kind of love for or want to kind of like help people? Because, and of course, I always rant about this too, like, yeah, healthcare is expensive. I got a bill right here for something that they're like, you're clear, no big deal, but... Where did this passion come for wanting to help people, like really looking at the system, really being in such a influential role? Oh, man. The roles, I don't want to say they've happened organically, um, but you mentioned I was a very curious person. I am a very curious person. Uh, I'm not that person who knows what they want to do when they grow up. I never thought as a little girl, like, oh, I definitely want to be in population health analytics. I didn't know what the hell that was. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I actually really didn't know that any of this world of healthcare existed, any of these jobs at first. I was very much on a a path for law school, frankly. And then I was thinking about what would my life look like if I did the law track and thought that is not what I want to do. So really, it was completely accidental. I love the opportunity to socialize a whole world of jobs for folks that I didn't know existed and they may not know existed. 
but I was actually in a class at the University of Michigan, the practicum in sociology class, where they allow you to do work in the community with various organizations, and they pair it with coursework and have it count as class credit. So I was doing an internship, for lack of a, a better term, in policy with uh, an educational campaign that was really meant to reduce poor outcomes down the road. And I made the comment to someone one night, I was working at a bar in college, <laughs> made the comment to someone, as we all do, right? Yes, of course. I am loving this, the idea that you can be in healthcare and not be clinical, not be a doctor or a nurse, because I knew that wasn't for me, and have an impact on people's lives to make it better was fascinating to me. Um, I was a psych and social double major. I, I wasn't getting into this type of work even in college. And they said, well, you can do that. There's a school for that up the street. And I had never heard of the School of Public Health. <laughs> and that night I closed the bar and I got home about three in the morning and I Googled the School of Public Health. And the next day I signed up for my GRE. I took it a couple days later. I applied and I never looked back. It was just so fascinating to me that there's this whole world of folks working to make that system better, to make access better, to make education in that space better. And it's, it's just a really fun puzzle, right? So it is the most economically complex industry in the United States. It is the most fragmented. The pricing is the most irrationally based. <laughs> it is the most regulated, perhaps the least successfully regulated. Uh, it is hugely inequitable. There's low quality and it's very expensive compared to every other developed nation in the world. And you're thinking, what the hell are we doing here? We could be doing this better. Um, and it's the industry that is so crucially, so vitally important to individual lives and to family life. And I love jigsaw puzzles. And this is the gnarliest one I could <laughs> find, apparently. <laughs> it is a good one because, and it's so interesting that you really, I mean, you fell into this role or this, your whole career, which is great. I mean, because you're, you said it absolutely right. And I just talked about this on, I think the last podcast, but I didn't know what that was. I mean, you're what doctor, nurse, that's really what you're told on high school and college is the routes you can go or mm, no healthcare positions for you. But that's so awesome. I love that. Transitioning into how, like you said, you accepted a role, you withdrew from a role, you started a new role. What kind of made you decide when it was time to look for a new position? Sure. I frankly was in a role that I had been really, really excited to start and it was starting to eat me alive. <laughs> I did a good job, I think, of managing work-life balance time-wise um, I did a pretty good job of limiting those after hours, you know, especially you mentioned at the top you know, that I have a, a young family. I think I did a good job of managing that time wise, but it felt really consuming and it was starting to be a little soul crushing. I wasn't loving how some of the things were being handled there. And I moreover was falling out of love with the work that I had been so excited about before. For example, I was doing more contracting mm -hmm. than ever after I said I would never be an attorney and then negotiated for a living. Um, <laughs> and I was just seeing really nasty greed, right? Like practices taking advantage of loopholes and technicalities and holding out for egregious amounts of money, knowing that you needed them to complete the network, not caring if they ultimately hurt vulnerable patients on the other side. Like those are real Medicaid and Medicare beneficiaries on the other side. Those are, are real people 
limited dollars who need access to healthcare. And that, that really started to grind my gears. And at the same time, I lost someone really close to me pretty suddenly. And it was really jarring. She passed the week she was set to retire. Uh, She also worked in healthcare. Um, And she prioritized her time very differently. And she lived her life, I think, very differently than how I was living my life, but very much in line with how I wanted to. And I started my career in hospice originally. So I think I have a more grounded, does this matter at the end line of thinking than maybe the average 30-something. And still, that really that really turned me upside down. I had this realization that we just don't know what the future holds. And life is way, way too short to continue putting time into something that really no longer pulls you in that way. Um, That's not to say it wasn't difficult. I loved the team I worked with. I loved the team I was assembling there. And for a while, I tried to convince myself very honestly that I can get over that the content no longer drove me um, because I was so fortunate to work with the people and that was enough. But ultimately, even if the people fill your cup, (laughs) if the work is draining, it just, it doesn't work. And so I had that uncomfortable realization that I had strayed too far from the good I had gotten into healthcare to do. And that was an uncomfortable space. Well, and it's true. And I think I've had that conversation, I've had that conversation three or four times this week of, why do people just like, like, you don't want to live to work, you want to work to live, and people just wait till retirement. I mean, that's a horrible story. The weeks you're supposed to retire, my gosh. And I'm glad you had that realization too, because the big thing, and I tell people as well, is like, if your coworkers quit, would you be happy? Or the ones you love that make, you know, your job okay, if they quit or if they leave, would you stay? And the answer is always no. So it had to be tough to come to that realization and have that tough conversation, but I'm so glad you did. And that's part of that cultural assessment, right? There are multiple components there. And I worked with a career coach for a while just because I needed a gut check. And she was really excellent at walking me through, like, put your values on paper. We're going to rank them. We're going to order them. What's important to you? How do you want to spend your time? And then an assessment of, is that what's happening? So that was helpful in guiding me both with that decision to start looking and and go elsewhere and also with the decision about where to go and what to do next. That's amazing. And of course, I love career coaches being one myself, but it's so different when, you know, your loved ones want to support you, your partner wants to support you and not rock the boat in most situations, but just someone that's just unbiased and like, okay, let's logically think about this and how like you deserve to be happy and you deserve to find what you want. More people need to hire career coaches. Now, when you started looking, which and this is how we got connected, but you accepted a new offer and then you withdrew your offer. Now, that's okay. I love it. I love this story because more people, like you said, have that gut check like you just talked about. But what went into making that decision? (laughs) Had to be a tough one. (laughs) It was a tough one. And I've had people tell me like, wow, that's really gutsy. And I'm like, or really stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I, I found a really interesting position at an interesting company, which was responsibility, not responsibility, because you're always responsible for your work in any job. But leadership wise, a little bit of a step back from where I had been operating. 
And all of those departures from the norm at that point were attractive to me at that particular time. There's a lot of change, right? Like toddler in the house, lost a family member. Maybe there was a pandemic happening. Things in healthcare are shifting. There was a lot happening. So I was excited to accept that position in still in healthcare, but in a very different area. Although I was, again, really, really sad to leave that team, not only because they were wonderful, because we accomplished a lot together in a relatively short amount of time at that company. There was a lot to be proud of there in terms of how we had pulled off some some pretty incredible feats. <laughs> and I think content-wise, that new role, which was really more in, in the health data, health informatics space, would have been a good fit. But I was starting to hear of a lot of cultural issues. And I was fortunate enough to know a fairly large number of folks who had worked there or still working there. And I could seek their counsel, which I did. I... <laughs> I am very much an information gatherer. That probably doesn't surprise you as someone who works <laughs> really? in analytics, you? right? No, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> very much an information gatherer when it comes to those types of decisions. And I got really good insight. And no place is perfect. No, no job is perfect. No environment is perfect. But it's important, I think, to walk into any situation with eyes wide open as to what those challenges are going to be. You just have to be able to do that assessment of, Am I equipped to handle the challenges I'm about to face? Some of them gave me pause, uh, very honestly, but I felt like I had a pretty strong set of tools in my toolkit to manage what I was, what I was hearing about. Um, but before I was even set to start, the company hit me with some unexpected surprises oh, <laughs> that no. were not insignificant. Things like a really, really restrictive non-compete that they forgot to mention oh. that had a national reach and was very, very broad. Nationally? <gasps> Nationally. And, you know, I was still willing to work with them on that. And, and they were open at first to some edits and, and some differencing in the phrasing. Again, I had a lot of contracting experience at that. So looking at a document like that and making some edits doesn't, doesn't scare me. But in short, how they responded to those concerns that I've raised um, told me really everything I needed to know about what I was walking into culturally. Uh, I mean, that was still supposed to be the honeymoon phase. Not even. I hadn't even started yet, right? <laughs> right. You didn't even get on the honeymoon yet. Right. Right. And with the yellow, orangish flags that I already had in mind, I had the immediate realization that I was walking into the opposite situation where the content was more interesting to me and was an amazing learning opportunity and was something that I think could be really driving and could be a force for good in healthcare, but the culture was lacking. <laughs> so I was back in that same space. So after a lot of discussion with my family and asking a few key people, like, what am I doing? Is this the right thing? It really wasn't fair to either of us for me to start something that I knew going in probably was not going to be the right fit. So I took the terrifying step of withdrawing and being unemployed for the first time since I was about 15. <laughs> Which is crazy to think about. With anything, I mean, even a job offer, you want to trust your gut on it too. And 
People should. I mean, you have a great network of people. That's clear. But even just like you can look online and see company or on LinkedIn and see company alumni. Like, why'd you leave? It's a simple ask. But yeah, no job is perfect. But in your gut, if you're knowing something's off or and think if you signed that NDA, which was crazy, and then you started, you would have screwed yourself long term anyways. So it worked out, but terrifying to do for sure. Yeah. Okay. Another thing I've done, I have met because we have a few mutual friends, mutual networks of people that we both run in. But I've met so many people and you've referred me so much business and I'm forever thankful for you. But (laughs) I've met so many people that have been under your leadership and every single one, whether they worked with you 20 years, well, really 15 years ago recently, have all said incredible things about you. Genuine, incredible, go on rants about Catherine's the best, blah, 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 blah. And I love that because that's because I've had referrals and people like, yeah, they're good. No big deal. But you're obviously a good leader. So what has kind of instilled in you of what it looks like to be a leader and just make such lasting impacts on your employees? Wow, that's that's amazing and humbling (laughs) to hear. (laughs) And I refer folks to you because you guys do a great job. Well, thank you. (laughs) I've sort of joked over the last several years that I'm better at people and team development than I am at my day job. But there's probably a kernel of truth, a fairly large (laughs) kernel of truth to that. But to me, there's really no question where we should be putting that effort. The people are the doers, right? They're crucial. They're human first. You have to recognize that. And so when I, I don't know that I have a leadership philosophy, so to speak, but it's not only the right way to treat people, but it's also the right way to do business. My experience is really that people will run through a brick wall for you if they know the goal on the other side, if they know the direction, if they know what the strategic plan is and how they fit in there. And I think one of the biggest failures of leadership that I see, and this has been pretty true almost everywhere I've observed, uh, some people do an amazing job of this, but when this is a gap, the failure of leadership there is to not give people that direction, not that understanding, no context, and they don't know where they're going or how they fit in. So equipping folks with the full picture, I think, is the best context we can give them. The better they know their work, the better they know their piece of the jigsaw puzzle and where it fits in overall operations and and into the goals and the mission of the organization is just really, really key and the better the outcome. So I think, you know, you follow, you follow that pattern of adult learning, right? You build the box, like this is what we're trying to do here. This is how we're going to do it. And then you fill the box. So then next you, you regularly do those cultural assessments and you assess those development opportunities and then you work on them. You know, we've talked a little bit about how no place is perfect, but folks realize that folks don't expect perfection necessarily. But if we're constantly striving to invest in that culture and invest in each team member's individual development, invest in the team development, people feel that commitment to improvement. There's absolutely no doubt. And it can be it can be really small in terms of like, I care about you as a person. And like I said, you're human first. So you've got something going on and we're going to organize to drop off a meal. We just, we want to take care of some things that you don't have to worry about then that you would otherwise have to worry about. Or it can be working with someone one-on-one on on that personal development plan. And it can be infrastructural. 
right? I know right now we're building out a new dyad structure with one of the teams that reports to me to say, hey, we've got a lot of content that we cover. We've got some analysts on the team. Let's pair them up, right? Let's assign a primary and a secondary for each of these content areas. And that becomes a really, really clear development path. Oh, now I'm listed as secondary for all of these things. I don't know much, but two amazing things. One, now I have a list of things content-wise that I can start working on and get to know better. And two, I've been assigned a buddy for each of these, right? So it gives folks a much more comfortable path. And I think, you know, feedback and development don't have to be scary. And I think in a lot of cultures, they are. It's the only way we improve. And I really see it as the opposite. And you have someone who's having those development conversations with you. They care enough about you as a person and they care enough about you as a career in your career to be investing in you because it is it is time consuming. (laughs) It is potentially easier in some situations to not engage in that work, especially when everyone's plate is full and there's no shortage of things. I'm sure this is true in other industries, but healthcare, but there's plenty going on. It is, I think, for a lot of leaders, an easy thing to just push off to the side or say HR handles that or, hey, we had one team retreat one time and we don't have to do this on an ongoing basis. But that's not how we, like I said, it's how you treat people and it's the right way to do business. That's not how we should be operating. Well, and those people will stay with you long term and you're saving yourself and the company money by being a good leader. And, you know, if people follow you, because I think you said some of your previous employees from years ago have followed you to other jobs and that speaks wonders of who you are. But and speaking of which, working in healthcare, I cannot imagine the chaos you have dealt with over the last few years. But what was it kind of like working in healthcare during the pandemic? I mean, from we heard about this, is this really going to be a thing down to, oh, shit, for lack of a better term? Yeah. Oh, shit. Um I hope we're past most of the oh shit. Yes. It is terrifying. Uh, It was humbling. It's guilt inducing because I'm not a frontline clinician. In some ways, it was terrifying to be close enough to see what was happening, to see those waves coming at us and having maybe a, a front row seat to things that on the other sides of life, you're hearing a lot of people say like, this isn't happening. This is a hoax. Uh, They all died of something different. This is whatever, fill in the blank, right? Um, So I think it was extra terrifying and I had to do some gut checks. I'm like, how am I reacting to this? I think we've seen that um, manifest itself, particularly with clinicians. We've seen a a hugely high burnout rate. Um, The squeeze is everywhere in healthcare, but particularly clinicians. That's why I say it's a little bit guilt-inducing, right? I don't work in a hospital. I typically work fully remotely in the safety of my basement. (laughs) Um, You know, get to pop upstairs and have lunch with my son. That's fun. The exposure is different. The stress is different. Not watching people die all day long every day. It's different. And I think we're going to see those consequences in healthcare for several years, right? People who are fresh out of nursing school are being thrown into ICUs and watching people die at a rate that was unthinkable even months before. But the entire experience was really eye-opening. I think if anything positive comes from the last couple of years, it's the painful realization uh, of something that folks in healthcare operations already knew, (laughs) that we are 
woefully underprepared to care for people in a new digital age and care for an aging population, right? You know, I have my my degree in public health and health management and policy, so I'm always tending to think a little bit bigger picture and how can we be preventive and how can we set up the infrastructure so that this better serves more people. That's what healthcare and, and public health in particular is all about. So when we think about being successful with keeping people healthy, which is really, like I said, the ultimate goal of medicine and in a value-based care world, at least, not just treating the sick people who show up. We need to reach out to people how they want to be reached out to. We need to be able to find them where they are. We want to be able to treat them how they want to be treated. And that landscape has shifted really, really rapidly and I think was accelerated. I won't say exacerbated, accelerated by the pandemic. So that could be like my grandmother's model of care, right? Where they have a long-term in-person relationship uh, with a primary care provider. That might be virtually with a primary care provider. That might be virtually on demand with any competent individual. They don't care if it's the same person, you know, for a long-term relationship. That might be fully remotely. And in this age where we have so much ability to digitally monitor vitals and so many other things, I mean, there are so many wearables, there are apps on your phone, (laughs) you can do an EKG at home. We really need to to be able to set up that infrastructure so that access can meet demand because that really hasn't been true in the pandemic. And payment models need to continue to adapt to reward providers for keeping folks healthy rather than just paying them when folks show up sick at their door. So we really need to be finding a way to reach people that resonates because we saw very clearly with people in the pandemic that misinformation and health illiteracy can kill people. It's, I, I can't even imagine what it's been like. And it's, it's so interesting. It's interesting to see what the future will be like post pandemic of, okay, clearly things need to change. Policy needs to change. Infrastructure needs to change like you talked about. But like you said, I think that is one of the positive things that has come out of that is just like, you can't have an oh shit again. Cause it was, people are traumatized for life. I mean, it's ridiculous. But what advice would you give to someone that's listening to this podcast or maybe interested? Because I, I do work with a lot of people who are passionate just like you and want to make a difference. But what advice would you give to someone like looking to get into your line of work? I guess one, know it exists, right? I was in a space where I was getting ready to apply for law school and didn't know that it existed. And being just open to those opportunities So I told you how I fell into healthcare. I went to the insurance side right after grad school. (laughs) That is the dark side. Um, That I was the minority leaving grad school and going to the insurance side rather than a hospital, you know, delivery system or straight into consulting. And I had a wonderful experience for a decade. It wasn't that dark. (laughs) I think folks, the general public view it as sort of a cash grabbing claims engine but I'll, I'll share the example of the, the first insurance company I worked for where I was there for eight years. And they have a headquarters that was at the time, I think, a four building campus. One department on one floor adjudicates claims. That's it. Oh, that means that every other department on every other floor of every building on that campus. And we had some satellite campuses across the state as well. 
we're working to improve the health and the lives and transform healthcare. All of them were doing, and if you think about the the motivation, it makes sense, right? Health insurers want you to stay healthy and well because then everybody wins. So everybody else there was doing something to improve care and improve patient treatment and make people healthier long term. And I'm glad I had that experience because even though I did get a little bit of shit from <laughs> from some classmates and and some other colleagues, oh, I'm sure, right to the dark side. Mm-hmm. It was a wonderful experience, and it gave me some really broad visibility into healthcare operations. And that would be the other advice I would give someone: think about that context, think about visibility. I imagine this is true of any field. But both in line with sort of my philosophy on development (laughs) and seeing the context for whatever you're working on, especially in an industry as complex as healthcare, the more you know about what happens upstream to your work and downstream to your work, the better you understand your place in operations, the better you understand your importance or that role's importance in the mission and achieving those strategic goals, the better. And that's as simple as volunteering for a project that's out of your comfort zone. Seek out roles that have to interact with multiple departments. Volunteer to be the liaison (laughs) for a project, right? Teach it to someone else. I used to work with someone who was wonderful and and her mantra was learn something, teach something. You never really learn it until then you have to teach it and you're the answerer of all of those, (laughs) those questions, right? And then once you know just enough to be dangerous, it really has a snowball effect. So I think the best part is that it makes you better at whatever your job is. Of course, that's probably a little biased. That's from the perspective of a lifelong (laughs) learner. I'm the person who, if I don't learn something new that day, I am bored. I'm going to put in my two weeks like I'm that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's gotten you. It's been well for you thus far that you've made it so far, but that's awesome. That was a phenomenal answer. So I'm excited to see how you answer this next one. But as we wrap this up, do you have any parting words of wisdom for listeners or anyone that uh, may come across this podcast? I'm going to steal the best career advice that someone ever gave me. And this was a professor at my, my grad school program. And she said, don't turn down a job that hasn't been offered to you yet. <laughs> and at first, that didn't make sense to me. <laughs> Right. But now it does. Right. I was in the position where I was talking myself out of applying for a a fellowship. And I just kept looking for reasons that it would be inconvenient to travel that far, that I've got to have an apartment somewhere for three extra months or whatever the case may be. And if you think about that really, really broadly, right, that's just be open to exploring any sort of inquiry like that. Um, You know, I mentioned that I'm not a person who knows what they want to do when they grow up. I wasn't dreaming of being in pop health analytics (laughs) as a a kiddo. Yeah. But I have found that if you follow what interests you, that passion grows. And to do that continuously, you have to be exploring. And really, that has led me to roles I never thought I would have, to expertise I never thought I would gain. And led me to people I never thought I'd be fortunate enough to work with and have really been amazing forces in my life. And I've just continued to seek out whatever is fascinating to me. And it's always worked out. I've always been able to carve out a space for myself there. I think folks tend to be really concerned with finding a particular seat on the bus. And I've had leaders who were really, really frustrated with me asking me to put together like 
a five-year plan and a 10-year plan, list the position you want, list the chair you want to be in. And I was always maybe a bit obstinate, but like, how do I know that's going to be interesting to me at that point? (laughs) Right? So I think both individuals and companies should be a little bit more open to getting the right people on the bus. And then I think finding the right seats, it sort of works itself out a bit. I think I'm going to steal that analogy because that was perfect because it's it's absolutely true. And I hate I hate the three, five, 10 year plan because who did you have a pandemic on your three year plan? Did not. I didn't. So did not. yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, Catherine, it has been so much fun. Learned a lot of good information. Where can people find you if they want to pick your brain about what you do or? Yes, I was just going to offer that. I think that's probably part of my personality and in, in wanting to help folks develop. I think that networking is always really, really important. They can find me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm certainly on LinkedIn. Happy to see messages from folks if they have questions about healthcare or healthcare operations or public health or how to get in or what types of jobs are available or anything else. Awesome. Well, thank you. And anyone listening, her LinkedIn is in the show notes here. So you can click on it, connect with Catherine. But again, thank you so much. This has been fun. And anyone listening, if you're in need of resume writing, career coaching, or looking to start a business, contact us for a free consultation. If you're looking for a career change and you're not sure where to start, the Resume Rescue can help. Sure, there's no such thing as the perfect fit for everyone, but here at the Resume Rescue, we're on a mission to find the perfect solution for you. Whether it's changing careers, updating a resume, learning LinkedIn, or practicing interviewing, we have you covered. Find us online at theresumerescue.com and find all of our contact info in our show notes.